Welcome to the Wilton Report, your local real estate market update with Josh Wilton, respected real estate agent, broker, consultant, and co-owner of Queenston Realty in Princeton, New Jersey. Each week on the Wilton Report, Josh Wilton takes a deep dive into the research and analysis to provide you with the insider real estate information you need to buy and sell faster and smarter. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the Wilton Report. I am very excited. Uh, we have a very special guest this week, uh, Lance Lampert, who uh, is the founder of Resi Club. And Lance, welcome to the Wilton Report. And why don't you introduce everybody and right from the jump, tell them your background and how they can find you. Yeah, uh, Josh, thank you so much for having me. My name is Lance Lambert. I'm the editor and founder, co-founder of Resi Club which is a news and research company that really focuses in on the residential real estate market, really looking at housing markets across the country down to a county or a zip code level to figure out really what's going on and how does it vary across the country. Uh, a part of the reason that Resi Club was founded is that there isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all housing market. It varies so much. And there's so much going on in the market throughout different categories of the market and throughout different regions. And we really want to be at Resi Club, your data-driven gateway to the U.S. housing market. And that's what I've done a long time uh, while working as the real estate editor of Fortune Magazine for four years. Uh, people will follow me on Twitter at News Lambert. We'll see that content all the time, whether it's looking at what's going on in the rate environment, how the new build com uh, market compares to the existing market, what types of different deals around the market. And then really keeping a close eye on inventory, which to me is the, per, the, the greatest gauge of the supply-demand equilibrium in a market. Uh, if I can only have one metric to look at, give me inventory and give me over time by market, and I can kind of figure out what's been going on. And, uh, and then before working at uh, Fortune Magazine, I'd worked as a data journalist and analyst at Realtor.com. And that's really where those couple of years there, I got into that local data in a deep way and started to understand, you know, how the MLS data was collected and really understanding the nuances of, of real estate data. Um, and so thank you again, Josh, for bringing me on. Really excited to talk to your audience. Well, thank you. Like I said, this is definitely like a, a fan moment for me. So I was, I was a fan of your, of your uh, Twitter account. But you use two amazing words, um, bifurcated market. And you use, you literally wrote those words. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy's my hero. Because everybody has always wanted to put a blanket on the real estate market. Why don't you talk about what you're seeing nationally in a couple pockets? And then what you're looking at, obviously, specifically to where we are in New Jersey. And I know I follow you on Twitter. I do, you do post about a lot about Austin, which is a fascinating market right now. Um, what you're seeing nationally in a couple pockets nationally, and then what you're seeing in the East Coast, New Jersey specific. Yeah, so we had a period of overheating in the U.S. housing market that was really happening across the country uh, during the pandemic. And that was for a few reasons. One, uh, we saw an acceleration in household formations because of work from home. People could work from wherever they wanted, and they wanted a lot more space. So if you were with roommates in New York City, and suddenly you're working from home, that doesn't work for you. So you want more space, right? right? And at the same time, despite the fact that we had the lockdowns and technically a recession, 
there was so much money pushed into the economy that it it pushed forward that work that uh, household formation and work from home effect. And then you also had the fact that the Fed was in quantitative easing mode, and we saw rates go to the lowest level ever. We saw two percent mortgage rates, and some of the fifteen year mortgage rates I think uh, even had a one handle. So it was pretty crazy with the uh, 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 the improvement to affordability during the pandemic plus that work from home effect and things heated up so fast that the absorption levels in the market inventory just cratered. There were still homes coming up for sale during the pandemic, but they were moving off at a record speed. And then what occurred is as the Fed started to jack up interest rates in 2022, we saw an affordability shock, a mortgage rate shock. Mortgage rates went from two, three, four, five, six, seven, and even this, even in 2023, briefly in the fall, hit 8%. But despite that uniformed rate shock, the impact varied across the country significantly and in a way that is unique historically, uh, or at least in a way we haven't seen in two decades. And so we had markets like Austin, Texas, which was a pandemic darling. It had a lot of people from California moving into the market. Local prices got detached from local fundamentals during the pandemic because so much outside money rushed in so quickly. And that migration that was going into a market like Austin pulled back once rates shocked, once the tech boom pulled back and there was those tech layoffs in 2022. And at that point, once that money pulled back, local incomes could not support where prices got during the pandemic. In a market like Austin, at one point, and you're going to think I'm lying, but this is a true, prices in Austin were up over 40% year over year. That sounds like a made-up number, but that's what happened. And it's just that California money rushed in so quickly, they got detached. And Austin also has something else that's unique. Unlike the markets that you're in, New Jersey, they have a lot of building there. And so prices got really high really quickly, and they had a lot of new home supply. And with that new home supply on the single family side coming in, it cooled the market more and they had more of a correction. Then there's other parts of the country where not only have prices not fallen, they've also over, they've also grown at a fairly big clip in 2023. And those are markets, a lot of markets in the Northeast and Midwest where prices never went they did go up a lot in those places during the pandemic, but they didn't go up at the levels of Boise. They didn't go up at the levels of Phoenix at Austin. And they also don't have a lot of new home construction. And the new home construction sector, the places that have a lot of new homes, because the builders made affordability adjustments to bring people in. So the supply of the new home side, plus the fact that d builders are offering deals, that creates more of a cooling effect in the markets that have them. In New Jersey, there's just not a lot of building and the prices, yeah, they're high, but people can still make it pencil. And so as long as people can make it pencil, there's not a lot of supply, you know, things stay tight in those markets. And so when you pass into a spring period, when you usually see the seasonal lift up, you know, if you don't have the inventory, you're going to see prices move up as long as people can still pencil it. And I think that's what probably happened in 2023 in your market is that the technicals, the active listings stayed fairly tight. The months of supply was tight 
And yeah, the affordability was pressurized, but not to a level like Austin. And then, so when you went into the spring, you saw appreciation. That that's right. that's and my best guess. Princeton, Princeton being a very micro market, and fifty one percent of our market's cash, so it's definitely not interest rate driven. Um, Who, who's your buyer usually? That's a great question. Princeton University uh, faculty and staff, obviously, uh, they are a um, mini jobs juggernaut. I've always maintained real estate follows jobs. Uh, and then when you look at Mercer County, which we're in, in Middlesex County, which is two miles from us, those are the leading job counties, not only in New Jersey, but New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. So we have massive job growth um, and pretty much no houses for sale. Like I was yeah. saying, there's two single families in Princeton below a million. They both have offers in on them. So we're going to go back to zero. So it's almost a negative absorption rate. So, and it's school driven and it's baby boomer, huge baby boomer market um, where people want the walk to the university, walk to the town that, you know, that uh, they want to get out of the burbs and come downtown yeah. and still live in, you know, a burby type town. So it's a, it's a mixed bag for buyers, but it is, it is ferocious. So you touched on rates. So you had posted the other day, not only on Twitter, but on the Resi Club. And again, um, if you're a realtor, if you're a builder, if you're an investor and you're not a member of Resi Club and it is a paid subscription, I'm a member. I find it amazing. Uh, you should be. You posted an article about the prediction for rates. I actually <laughs> went out on a limb and said, I don't think rates are going to come down to the low sixes. I think people are underestimating employment and the impact, the long-term impact of the Jobs Act with the onshoring of uh, employment versus offshoring of it. What do you, are you making a prediction personally for rates for 2024? Or are you kind of like just letting the experts duel it out online? Yeah, I, I try to avoid making too many price predictions, <laughs> making too many rate predictions. I think on the price front, as far as I've gone, is said that the markets with very tight uh, technicals where the active listings are very low are probably going to see appreciation this spring. I think that makes sense uh, from a historical lens. And I think the markets where inventory is really soared up to pre-pandemic levels, we'll probably see more weakness. Uh, so not really going out on a limb there, but still predicting that there's probably going to be some variation across the country, no matter what happens this year. Yeah. Um, on the rate that's front- That's one of the I'm, best things about your your publications is that you actually point out the differences in these local markets, just, well, you know. Well, uh, and, and so on the rate front, um, I really don't want to go out too far, but I think what you said is very key which is how does the labor market move this year? Last year, uh, we had a labor market that stayed fairly tight. There was the pandemic effects, which the pandemic effects in my mind are the fact that during the pandemic, there was an acceleration in baby boomer retirements. And we also had a decrease in immigration. And so those pandemic factors helped to actually um, heat up the labor market, right? And so the labor market has... That, that plus the fact that there are these other economic factors like the stimulus still rolling through the economy and just the fact that some of these sectors like housing, at least on the home building side, have been a little more uh, resilient in the face of spiked rates for a few different factors. Um, and so as long as the labor market stays tight, um, rates could stay higher than people might expect, even if the Fed starts to cut rates uh, from that from where uh, they they are currently on the short-term side. And a part of that is just because the long-term rates, like mortgage rates, are forward-looking, uh, looking out further. 
That's right. Um, that said, even if labor markets stay tight, though, if there's more, uh, if less, if there's less volatility in the financial markets, and the markets start to believe they know where rates are going, and there are banking crises, it's possible that the spread between the the treasuries, the ten-year treasury yield, and the mortgage market could begin to narrow, and the mortgage-backed securities be- could become a little more uh, enticing uh, for in the bond market. If that occurred, then it's possible that long-term rates like the treasury yield could stay higher, but mortgage rates could maybe come down a bit more if the spread started to normalize. And so historically speaking, uh, since 1972, the 10-year treasury yield, which today is 4%, has been 1.74 higher. The, the, The mortgage market has been the average 30-year fixed mortgage has been 1.74 percentage points higher than the 10-year treasury yield. Correct. If we completely normalize the spread, which today we're like 270-something or 2.7 percentage points, mortgage rates would be around like 5.7 today if we just normalized. Obviously, we're not going to normalize that fast, but it tells you that if things started, if there was less certainty in the market, maybe we get down to 6.5, 6.4, 6.3. Um, but again, we'll have to see how the labor market does this year. Uh, does the banking sector hold up and really just, uh, you know, are there any surprises, right? Um, because we have went through the fastest rate hiking cycle in four decades and Jerome Powell's acknowledged in the last meeting, uh, that he still believes we haven't seen all the effects of it. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Do you have a number, you know, talking about rates and, you know, inventory being locked in because sellers have these amazingly low rates that they're sitting on, as do investors, as does anybody who probably owns real estate. They've locked in extremely low rates, not just from the pandemic, but from the previous 10 years. Do you have a number at which you think it would start to unlock inventory, meaning if it's at 6.7 today, the rate, is it 6.5? Is it 6.49? Is it six two nine? Like, do you? Different people have bandied about different numbers. Some people say it's going to take it to go into the fives. Yeah, I you know I I think about this all the time, and I think about it for a number of reasons. One, I analyze the housing market, and then two, I have a three bedroom house, and my <laughs> wife's pregnant with a third, so it is something that I think about a little bit. You know, I have like a, uh, a two point six something mortgage rate. Um, and you know, I really wouldn't want a 7% mortgage rate. Uh, you know, the payment would be so high, but I think there could be a point where beds are cheaper. Yes. Well, that's what I've been thinking about. Yeah. It depends what gender the kid is, but yeah, (laughs) we, we are considering that, but I, I think a lot of, I think there are some people that, you know, you get down to five, five around, you know, uh, you know, they have a three, they have a 4% mortgage rate, depending on what it is. And, you know, they've had some different shifts in their lifestyle. Um, I think some people will jump at it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the biggest factor for a lot of people is they can't afford the new, the monthly payment. Um, so it's about getting that to where somewhere they could kind of afford it. Um, and I don't think this, where we are today is going to make a huge difference. This coming down from 8% to like 6.7% in terms of like really getting new listings up and really getting existing home sales up. I think people were 
probably a little naive if they think there's going to be a ton of resale existing transactions this year, unless rates come down a lot more. But I do think that we've gotten closer, right? That that point off coming down from 8% to like 6.765 is, you know, a big step. I think it's that next point down that probably really gets existing home sales moving up again in a, in a positive direction. Now, I do think there are signs that the lock-in effect is easing up, that we probably went through the peak of the peak lock-in effect and that new listings will maybe, we'll see, drift up a little bit from where they were at the bottom of 2022 and through a lot of 2023, which let's just be honest, that was a very constrained housing market. There was just not a lot of churn the past 15 months. Um, so making a little bit of progress, but we probably need to get rates down more to see something considerable. Okay. So, um, well, what's your thoughts? Where, where do you think? Where, where well, do you think when rates were at eight, <laughs> I was thinking if you can get them into the low sixes, people would jump. But I think the longer rates stay at a number, it's harder for people to jump. So like if it's six, seven and people are looking at it, waiting for that movement, it's almost like people are waiting for something to happen before they make a decision. I do think, and again, I think real estate follows jobs, but I also think it follows life, babies, birth, death, divorce, promotion, demotion, all these things. So um, I do think the first two quarters of 2024 will be tight. I think you'll see, um, I don't want to say regardless of rates, because that's definitely an overstatement, but I think life is going to catch up to people to make a decision meaning we have to sell. Even if yeah. we buy, we'll buy down to a smaller house, whatever. So I do think in the third quarter, you will see a pick in inventory. And I'm not saying the sky is falling because you could double the inventory today and we're still going to be in a one-month absorption rate uh, pattern. So uh, I do think it'll break a little bit in the third quarter. I think locally, at least in our markets here, we're looking at a 10 to 15% increase in transaction volume. But that will not come till later in the year. Yeah, and I think that framework that you put up is very key, which is it's not just about getting rates down, which, of course, that's the biggest thing, getting rates down a bit. Nationally, yes. But but it's also about the acceptance. And the longer that we've been in this elevated rate environment and the further in the rearview mirror, the two, the three percent mortgage rates are, that probably helps because there are people two years who put off moving, right? They probably have had another kid and they're probably getting closer to maybe a breaking point where they're like, you know what? Just a little more mortgage rate relief and I'm jumping. Um, so it, it'll it be interesting to see how much of that has been pent up in the market. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it'll be a late spring in terms of transaction volume. Right now, I can tell you, we probably have more buyers in our pipeline than I've seen and pretty much nothing to sell them. So it's it's going to be a tough, tough two first two quarters for buyers, great for sellers. Um, I don't want to keep too much of your time. Why don't you talk about Resi Club and talk about it to two segments of the population, investor builders and realtors? Yeah. You know, so why, why would I, as an investor builder, want to be a member of Resi Club? And by the way, I'm telling you, you should be, but this is the guy who started it and the, he's the brains behind it. So I have, I have tried to bring together an audience of real estate agents, uh, home builders, loan officers, uh, single family landlords, uh, the institutional side for single family rentals and build to rent 
and uh, and then a lot of executives across different real estate firms and analysts. And I I hope that people who read it um, are in a, are just exposed to a lot more that's going on in housing and real estate. And I help to tie different things together. And then I also use a lot of maps uh, to tell the different story across the country. And I've come up with uh, interesting ways to visualize data that are a little bit unique with like my tables. Uh, I think my tables are one of the ways that, uh, you know, if people ask what's Lance Lambert's style, it's a lot of these tables where I- You have great visuals. I take a lot of data and I compress it in a way to where you can, you, the reader can flip it in different directions and be able to analyze it yourself too. Um, and so I, I think whether you're somebody who's a builder or agent, um, and are consumer facing or whether, you know, you're just an investor, I, I hope that the content, um, adds value and it's built in a way that I hope it does. Um, and then another thing I will say, is that I'm constantly competing against myself to make better content. And so I, I think people who follow me over time, it's like, oh, La- you know, not, this kind of changes every time. And Lance looks at things in a different direction or kind of looks. And one of the things I've really been into over the past three months is the institutional side. And I've, I've really that, tried yeah. to z- put a lens on that in a way that I don't think any other publication has. Um, and so the past three months, I've really been zooming in there uh, to kind of not only educate people, but really just find out for myself. And so that's what Resi Club is, is it's written by an editor who's just really obsessed with residential real estate and constantly trying to learn. And so as I learn, I kind of take you through my journey of what I'm finding. That's awesome. How do people find you? Obviously, Resi Club, what is the website URL for Resi Club? Yeah, so resiclubanalytics.com is okay. where you will find all of my content. And then when you go to that page, you can put in your email and you can get in uh, to my newsletter. And that's all the articles. Uh, well, all the, so I have two different sides to it. I have the free side, which is a few articles per week and then created a premium tier Resi Club Pro. And that's the one that really gets all of my content. So if you put in your new, your email, you'll get the free articles. Uh, but you also have a chance if you want to upgrade and upgraded members get three additional articles per week and, uh, which have a lot of different like interviews with executives and interesting data and proprietary research that I have plus access to the Lance Lambert inventory tracker, uh, which has Metro and County awesome. data and then the Lance Lambert house price tracker. And then the other place, uh, to find me is at news Lambert on Twitter. I'm there all the time. If you have questions, hit me up, send me a DM or, or, and then you'll also see a lot of my charts tweeted out there as well. And I am on LinkedIn these days too. I saw that. Yeah. I saw you were on LinkedIn. So that, yeah, yeah. but for the real Lance Lambert experience, it's the Twitter plus the newsletter, in my opinion, news Lambert on Twitter. And, you know, for those of you who are thinking about joining Resi Club, I'll say this, and this is a topic we didn't get to today, but I'm going to put it out there because. This guy has covered it already in a lot of detail on Resi Club and on Twitter as well, is the insurance market and the affect, the pullback in insurers are having nationally, not only on everyday homeowner, but on the institutional investor, the mom and pop investor, profit margin, et cetera. So if you want to learn about that, this is a shout out to subscribe to him at News Lambert on Twitter. 
go to resiclubanalytics.com, get on his newsletter, join uh, the Resi Club. I love it. Lance, thank you for coming on the Wilton Report. I really appreciate your time and expertise. I know my listeners and our followers will here in Princeton, New Jersey. So thank you for joining the Wilton Report this afternoon. Yeah, thank you for having me, Josh. Really appreciate it. Okay, awesome. Thank you for joining us for the Wilton Report. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please share it with your friends. And be sure to subscribe to the Wilton Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.